Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. So hello guys. Hello everybody. Back again. Back again and today we're going to be talking about something that is important all the time but perhaps uniquely important given the current situation which we'll see. Uh, we're going to be talking about freedom of speech. Yes and I think that as you say it's very important especially right now but it's something that we grapple with all the time. And there seems to be um, a general concern about it from part of some people thinking that this thing is going away. Uh, other people instead say that it's never, it's never been stronger, this thing, right? We've never been more free to say stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that a good place to start is start, start trying to understand what this thing is really, right? Yes. Uh, because sometimes I think that um, people believe that freedom of speech is something fairly simple. Uh, mm -hmm. Instead, I will contend that it's not, right? Agreed. And so maybe a good place to start would be to say, when we talk about freedom of speech, it's not just literally speech. It's, it's freedom of expression, right? And so this could include art. This could include religious beliefs or anything like that. And so... What I think of to start is freedom of expression with regard to a political context, meaning that one is free to express their beliefs in, in, in whatever way without facing some kind of legal punishment. And it may go beyond that, but I think that's probably a good place to start, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and you said it right. It's not just about what you can say, right? But it's the way you can express yourself. Um, mm -hmm. and understanding the limits of that. If there are certain things that you're not supposed to do and the kind of, um, let's say, censorship that can go on, right? Sometimes uh, we might be satisfied with just some social shaming, right? Uh, or sometimes we need, like, the law. We want the law to crack down on it and say, this cannot be done, right? You cannot, you cannot express yourself this way. You cannot say these things. Or maybe you mm -hmm. cannot say these things this way. Hmm. in this form right yeah and so i think it's it's probably a good idea to distinguish between different kinds of punishment because when we talk about being free to speak we mean you're not going to get imprisoned or fined for speaking but that's not the same thing necessarily as being published by what mill would call published uh lose my mind being punished by public opinion <laughs> as he would say yes um so the idea is if you speak and someone doesn't like what you're saying and they push back against it, that doesn't mean you're not free because it's okay to quote unquote punish people according to pu uh, public opinion, even if you can't legally punish them according to Mill. Now, I think an interesting question to ask is the extent to which 
someone may be publicly punished by opinion. Because, for example, yes. that could be something as simple as, hey, you know, I don't like that. I'm going to argue against you. Or it could be elevated to the point of, you know, I don't think I want to associate around you, right? I don't want to do business with you. And then it could get amplified to the level of, you know, we're all going to boycott everything that you do. So that, that issue of being punished by public opinion for your speech seems to be more of a complex scaled question rather than a kind of black and white binary thing, right? Absolutely, especially especially when I, when I think about Mill or this writers, because around that time, there's a lot of writers that are concerned with that. And right after Mill, I always say, well, they're saying what they're saying because there's no internet there yet. Because <laughs> the internet doesn't exist. Uh, because then you, you realize that this, this public opinion thing can be really, really damaging. Uh, can be even worse than the law being applied. Because the law, oh, yeah. you go to jail, and then eventually you get out, and you can somewhat restart your life. With that thing, mm -hmm. it's hard. It's hard to get out under under the, the under the thumb of the public opinion stuff, right? Definitely, be, and I'm thinking public opinion has the same issue with the law, which is that no matter which one you're talking about, there's an issue of knowledge and truth. So, for example. If you're being punished by law, the judge could give a sentence or a, a penalty based on what the judge thinks, which is not necessarily what the truth is, mm -hmm. but which is just with reference to how the information was presented to him or her and how she, he mm -hmm. or she was thinking about it. Same thing with public opinion. The fact that people are, quote unquote, punishing someone for speaking in a certain way does not necessarily mean that that public opinion is true in the sense that it might not correspond to actuality. Uh, in which sense you're saying the second thing, in the sense that that's not what the person said or the perception of it might be wrong, so to speak? Uh, I guess both. I guess it's the, it's the issue of just because a lot of people think something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It doesn't mean it's false, mm -hmm. but it doesn't automatically count as truth. But you want to question, like, how much power will you give that public opinion you know yeah. if they have the power to suppress or punish people merely by virtue of their being like a democratic body or something like that rather than with reference to how true the things they're talking about are and from from a specific perspective i want to say that again once more the public opinion aspect of this because you said it right like, i mean in the justice system the judge is supposed to judge not what the truth is but what it is true like kind of stuff right it's mm -hmm. the way things appear to be what well, is the more logical explanation i read this um this book a long time ago um which is called um which is called justice and truth uh by this this philosopher of law um that's called haberle a german guy that was saying the aim of justice is not actually to find what is true mm -hmm. but actually to kind of judge the way things seem to be, which is interesting, interesting, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of what you're saying, right? You go through your reasoning. That doesn't mean that it's true. Uh, depending on the information that I have, the way things appear to be, then yet I make a judgment with the judge. Uh, but I think we have the ability to reason and to accept that the judge might be wrong mm -hmm. because it's one person. 
when you have public opinion, it's more difficult because I've heard countless times people saying, well, if it was just one person saying this, right, maybe right. that would not be true. But why are just all people, all these people saying these things? That that must be true, mm-hmm. which is obvious, obviously, you know, it's false. That yeah, right, right. But it it seems that in general, we are swayed by the fact that more people think something. Definitely, and I mean, you know, you talk about informal fallacies, and this is just kind of an appeal to the masses. Exactly. Right. It's like all these people can't be wrong, and at its core, I suppose there's some sliver of of pragmatic truth to it, right? Because think about the Think about the opposite. Think about when one person says a theory that sounds really strange. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to be like, okay, that's just some kind of idiosyncratic one-off thing. But then when more people start adopting it, you think, oh, okay, maybe it has some credibility and I was just pushing it away. So although the, the appeal to the masses thing might have some sliver of truth, especially when you talk about traditions maybe that have persisted over a long period of time Mm -hmm. uh it also can be problematic because people could just point to people and say true or point to people and say false without regard for the actual truth or falsity of the situation exactly i'm in complete agreement with you on that and i find it interesting that um from this pragmatic truth though we end up making uh such a general law where Mm pretty much again the majority of the people will go in that direction i mean right. we have plenty of situations where uh where we can see this this mentality right with and boycotting will be one of those things uh, maybe there will be an, an accident and somebody starts doing it and everybody does it and then um for, for the reasons for it are might be questionable sometimes right hmm. um and that the mob mentality in general that's the other thing, right? It's easy to move from, uh, you know, appeal to the masses to a s- simply mob mentality where I say something, you say something, and then we all mob up on this guy or this this woman that mm-hmm. for saying something, right? It, seem, it seems like a danger even to democracy itself. It seems a democratic principle, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, it seems a democratic principle, the fact that an opinion, an expression might be judged within society. And if the many decide that that's not good, we deem it not good, right? Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think that it's very easy to go to uh, the worst form of democracy, like the Greeks would say, Aristotle or or Plato, that would say, that is not democracy. That becomes demagogy or whatever it is. This Mm -hmm. appeal to masses and then the mob is ruling which is the op- nothing gets done, everything gets done wrongly, and so on. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, these are all things we can get into in more detail, and I'm wondering if we should maybe back up a second and, and start talking about, okay, so when we talk about freedom of speech and freedom from punishment, whether it is social punishment or legal punishment, what are the kinds of things that we're talking about? Like, you know, what are the things that, are allowed, should be allowed, aren't allowed, should not be allowed. And what Mill would say is that on a legal level, you should be allowed to express your beliefs, but it's not unlimited. 
because he says like you know you go outside of a corn farmer's house with the fire and and like pitchforks and stuff and you threaten the corn farmer that is more of a threat and so threats of physical violence Mm -hmm. direct physical violence don't seem to be covered by freedom of speech as far as we think of it but i'm wondering if there's anything else that might be in that same category so i think i think you're making a distinction between things that might be offensive versus things that can be harmful right Hmm, okay. so to speak there are certain things that we might forbid because they're offensive to someone and this might be beliefs uh, and what Mill is talking about the things that you can't say so to speak and then there might mm-hmm. be things that are harmful and anything that's harmful to someone else or to society in general maybe uh, those are the things that we definitely need to crack on right mm-hmm. uh, so uh, threatening somebody to burn them alive uh, with pitchforks and stuff like that that would be one thing or, um, I don't know, uh, even even telling someone that you're going to kill them, right? Yes, uh, or, yes. Or this kind of stuff. Or telling someone, hey, you have brown hair, and therefore, I, want, I think that all brown-haired people are uh, the devil, so I have to crucify <laughs> you, right? Uh-huh. That will, be, that will also go to harm, right? Yeah, I'm wondering how much context comes into play because if like me and you are hanging out, right, and then yeah. we're joking around, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna kill you. That's like a... that seems to be different than of course, of course, just going up to someone on the street and, and like a crazy person being like, I'm gonna kill you because that person <laughs> has reason to believe that that you're going to it, that you're actually going to, right? Yeah, I tell my uh, I tell my kids all the time, I'm gonna kill them, and I don't, I don't mean them, I don't mean that. Oh, Dyfus is listening. <laughs> Um, it's uh, yeah you're right and I was thinking even for the last example that I gave you right I hate all uh, people that have brown hair because I think they're the devil I wonder if I stop there if that's if that should be covered by free speech yeah because there's no threat right yeah Uh, immediately available it's just you saying I fundamentally dislike your kind. And this is an interesting question because there are some people who would say, you know, this thing we call hate speech, it it doesn't count as speech protected by, you know, the First Amendment or whatever. And that's that's a big debate going on right now. And I and I wonder, because, again, it might be it is offensive, right? If somebody comes to me and say, hey, I hate you because of the color of your hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know because you have a beard or whatever it is uh, it might be offensive to me it might be scary to me but if there is no threat there's technically no not harmful right yeah uh, it, it seems like there's no physical harm or threat of physical harm and you could just say back to them well like i hate you because you're saying stupid things and then and then you don't associate with each other and that's it yeah uh but then of course as you're saying the debate is, is huge, especially because of context, I believe, once more. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then all of a sudden, if I'm talking, instead of talking about having a beard or having brown hair, if I'm starting to talk about the color of somebody's skin, right, within the context of the, context of the United States, for example, uh, with all the racism stuff going on for, for centuries, that becomes different probably, right? Because mm-hmm. of the context, because it's, it seems like that if I say, if I tell somebody that I hate them or that I think... Uh, that, that somebody is 
what are the, the, the cliche stuff, like lazy or whatever it is because of the color mm-hmm. of their skin, uh, then it's different because I attach that to the old history, right? It comes with a baggage, so to speak. It seems like it does. And, and the question is, if that kind of discrimination would count as something like a threat, right? Because, well, and, and maybe even not. Maybe some people would say, even if there's not a threat, it should still be banned. Mm. And I think it's a lot of that way of talking about it has good intentions, right? Most of the time, we don't doubt that. Yeah. The issue is more so that good intentions don't always manifest in good consequences. And people oftentimes when they like have some belief they don't think about the the limit cases so for example if you think that any kind of exclusion is speech that needs to be banned then you have to start banning religion because by definition each religion excludes people who are not of that religion to some extent so it can definitely go too far and i don't think people think about that all the time absolutely and i'm wondering i'm wondering if maybe the way in which we should reason is rather trying to see if, uh, for example, um, making the distinction uh, when it comes to somebody's color skin is not a threat to the individual, but maybe a threat to society and societal order. Because hmm. that will be the case, right? Because considering the history, if I say something like that, maybe that might uh, make our society more unstable, right? Because it's making the distinction between a certain group of people and another group of people and now if i keep saying this there might be tension and then there can be civil war or can be this clash between different ethnicity races or whatever we want to call it hmm. maybe that's a way in which we can reason that into this so, so some kind of like non-deontological universalization principle where it's like okay if you imagine this being implemented all the time what could result from that and i think that's coming from a place that makes sense, but I wonder if that's not one of those things where like many things could result in bad things happening, but we wouldn't be willing to to ban all of those things, right? Yeah, and I and I agree with you. I'm saying I think it's this last thing that I was saying is more nuanced than saying like, hey, uh, this is bad because whatever, because that's racist, and then at the, 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 the naive question almost saying about why is that bad I'm not saying that I'm still treating these people the same way as others right I'm treating mm. I'm still serving them at the restaurant I'm still I, I'm not harming them in any way shape or form I'm just saying that I just don't like you know I don't know Italian people so this way <laughs> nobody can uh, self-loathing yeah right so i don't like italian people so uh, i just don't like them but uh, you know they're, they're human beings just like others right uh, it's difficult to say to me that i should not hate Italian people period it's mm-hmm. easier to justify it saying well you shouldn't hate them because then the fabric of society you know uh, dissipates and things like that okay so is the idea that it it could it should be free if it's a personal belief that you hold and maybe. maybe even even kind of like discuss with the people close to you but you shouldn't you're not allowed to let those personal beliefs bleed into public policy or any kind of public transaction or something like that 
maybe, but I don't know how you do that. Uh, I don't know. Well, so actually, this is reminding me of the, you know, the the question that, for whatever reason, seemingly keeps popping up, which is about how, to what extent should businesses be able to turn down clients? Yeah. Right? And, I mean, there's cases to be made on both sides, right? So the one idea is... You know, if I want to go to this business and they don't agree with my lifestyle, they could turn me down. And you say, maybe that's wrong and shouldn't be allowed because maybe you're the only business in the community or maybe you're the only one within a given distance. So it makes it a lot more difficult to me for me to live my life. And it's not just an issue of you expressing your belief. So that's the one side. And the other side is, okay, that makes sense, but it's not like I'm entitled to give you a service. So while we can agree to disagree here, we shouldn't treat this as a form of quote unquote oppression because I'm not telling you you can't live your lifestyle. I'm just telling you I choose not to associate with you. And the argument usually given in favor of that, which is interesting because it flips it on his head, is like, so what a, What if... Uh, because the usual case is about the, the baker not wanting to bake the cake for the gay couple, mm-hmm. right? But the other case is like, what if you were not a, not a Nazi and then a Nazi came to you and said, hey, will you make this Nazi cake? It's like, well, when you're in the reverse position, it seems like you would advocate for your right to turn that thing down. Yes. So it's like, hmm, how do we maintain consistency here? It's hard. It's hard, and I, I think that's one of those, those, those difficult things. Um, the issue is, it seems to it seems to be, uh, no matter which party you choose, you're limiting somebody's free speech, so to speak, right? Yeah, right, right. Uh, so it's one of those those almost paradoxical situations where if you say, oh, we should maintain free speech, so or freedom of expression or what, or freedom of belief, whatever we want to call it, and so the baker. Is supposed to maintain his, his belief that he doesn't want to serve this, you know, uh, gay people, for example, right? And then on the other time, on the other side, you have like, but why this this people don't have the freedom to express themselves and to tell the truth about the cake, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will will punish them, so to speak. The punishment yes. for them will be not being served. Uh, and it's it's really really uh, hard to 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 go into this. I'm wondering again if if there is a way uh, in which we can we can establish that that we should have some directions there so to speak if there are some directions that can be established at least uh, yeah i wonder because it's ultimately a question about like if you consider a business a, a communal good or something like that because if you do consider it a communal good then it seems like those like discriminatory decisions would be unjustified but when it comes to something like a church that's different because maybe you don't see the church as promoting the same kind of communal good um but i'm 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 thinking that the anxiety had about allowing speech for some people and not others even if those decisions are made with good intentions and initially seemed good is that you wind up giving the government the power to, quote, pick winners and losers. Absolutely. And 
And once you do that, once you grant government uh, a greater amount of authority, you have to think about the long term because it's easy to think about the short term, right? And I think most times people are thinking in the short term, but mm -hmm. it's like if you're willing to give the extra power to the people who you agree with, well, what happens when those people are dethroned and the people who you disagree with become in power? Now they have, now have the opportunity to discriminate in the same way, right? Exactly. And you're right. They, there is no thinking on the fact that sooner or later, the, the guy that I don't like is going to be in charge. And then I have granted him or her the possibility to do uh, what they want to do, right? To, to, mm -hmm. to put in place discriminatory practices against me, which is more or less what's been happening in the past like 20 years uh, in American politics. Um, well, you were talking, uh, I was thinking, uh, maybe, uh, would you say it's different when, you know, well, if the bake, there's a difference between the baker not wanting to make the cake mm -hmm. and an employee of the state refusing to issue a marriage license. Yes, that seems different. Uh, what, what would you... Why do you think is different? Because one gives you legal st legal status, so it so makes you access to certain rights, right? That you have as yeah. a married couple, while the other one is just a material thing. It's an object. It's a, it's a consumable stuff. Yeah, it seems like when it's an when it's a state agent making that decision, it's a matter of not allowing people the same kind of rights. Okay. Whereas when it's a, a business, depending on, you know, how big the business is, because that's a question you got to consider too. Maybe this only works for small businesses. Um, it's not a matter of rights. It's just a matter of like, oh, you could still have the cake. You just have to go elsewhere. Okay. I think, I think this, you know, this is one argument that could be made. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering though if, again, there's some, of course, limit cases, like that's the only bigger in town and then I have to drive. Yeah. Right, for right. like a million miles to get there. That's that's a limit case though. We cannot, uh, we're gonna use that necessarily. Uh, plus, it's not that you're gonna die if you don't have a cake or anything like that. So it's it's different. True. Whereas you could suffer or potentially die if you don't have certain rights. Exactly. So those those are different things. So I'm wondering if the distinction that that we're making here is between again, public services and institutions and private institutions. And what we're saying is within private, everyone should be allowed to serve or don't serve whoever they want within limits, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. uh, while public services and goods need to be available for everyone, regardless of lifestyle, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of speech, uh, uh, ex beliefs and things like that. Yeah, because it seems like we talk about freedom, or rather, separation of church and state, but we don't talk about separation between church and church, right? Like church and individual, that doesn't make sense. Yes, and I I think that there is a reason for that, especially when it comes from the private sector, mm -hmm. uh, because there's a long history of law being, meaning that the private individuals and the private companies eventually end up influencing the public policy. Hmm, uh, that's true. So I wonder if that's the issue there, if the issue is that there is the, um, and of course it's not the baker in Indiana, uh, the issue, but the bigger company that if it starts uh, implementing a policy, then that policy might be enforced uh, on a larger scale. 
and that's what is that's what we're afraid of right absolutely and so the the area where i see is more worrisome is precisely like you said not the small scale baker down the block but the the big corporations mm -hmm. because things seem to change when you move from the scale of oh the pizza place down the block to that social media platform that everyone in the world uses and relies on to exactly. some extent. So when you talk about Facebook, when you talk about Twitter, when you talk about YouTube and Instagram, the conversation certainly changes because when those guys pick and choose winners and losers, that's, that seems closer to the state, right? Uh, for some, if what we said at the beginning of this is true, that some media stuff or some public opinion stuff are more powerful in certain sense and more difficult to get rid of the state, I think that the truth is that those places are more powerful in the states when it comes to discrimination mm. or, or excluding or picking losers or winners in there, right? Uh, because all of a sudden, and this is it's interesting because I think that, again, it's a well-intentioned thing, right? Yeah. Uh, I am really, really not happy about the fact that now Facebook can censor stuff or Twitter right, can censor right. stuff. Because, first of all, they censor stupid things. Let's, let's be frank. Mm -hmm. uh, but also the fact that they are starting to censoring things that because they're fake news, right? Because they are, yes. they're not in, in line with the truth. And I'm like, okay, so you are the one who seems to be in charge of deciding what's true or not. Mm -hmm. which is particularly scary because, as we all know, it's not that there is the professor of philosophy or the epistemologist <laughs> there going like, hey, right, this, right. Is right, this is right. It's an algorithm that they put in there and nobody checks it, pretty much. Um, so it is problematic. Uh, it is wildly problematic. Um, so, yes, that's an issue. And, and, and I... And and it's I, and an I, issue for so many reasons. I'm sorry. I was just going to say no, no, before go we were talking about the judge and the jury judging, yeah. right? They're just judging for that person or the, the people involved in the case. Whereas, you know, the people responsible for censoring things on social media, like they're making that decision for everyone, right? So yes. it's very different. Yes. And it's and the, the consequences of that are last. They last long. They're long lasting, those things, right? They have, and they can really, really um, affect decisions and, and affect like the lifestyle of entire populations. Now, forget. I don't. We don't need to get into politics here, but let's let's think. I I think we need to use one example, right? If it is okay. true, if it is true that in one way or another, uh, people were swayed to vote one way or another mm. in the last election because of what they were seeing on Facebook or because of what they were, they were seeing on social media. And regardless for, oh, regardless of the fact that whatever they were seeing on this media was true or false, I, I don't care for that right now. But if it's true that those things can influence so much mm -hmm. an individual to the point that this individual decide to vote for, to vote for one candidate or another or decide to go one way or another, for something that's so important and impactful, like who's going to govern us, mm -hmm. then those things are really, really important. And these things are, that's yeah. why I'm saying Mel had no idea about, about social media and, and, <laughs> and the internet. That is problematic, right? Yeah, it definitely is, is problematic. And I feel like one of the critiques that people like uh, Brennan and 
this guy Nichols who I just started reading. I think it's his name. They they talk about how this open democratic everyone is heard thing was supposed to enhance lives, right? Because it was yeah. supposed to be what does Brennan say? It's supposed to be like in Flatland when like the plumber realizes, oh, now I can participate in politics. And it was supposed to make us better and smarter. But then with the implementation of the internet and social media, it has had like the exact opposite effect where people become worse when they use these things because they don't have to face the social consequences of being in the same room with the person. They don't need any kind of qualification. Um, the the knowledge requirement seems to go down. It, it becomes even more prone to mob rule and these appeal yep. to the masses thing. So definitely not a good look. No, it seems it actually seems to go in the direction of, of what we can call sort of, you know, a dictatorship of of perceived purity. Right. Mm, everybody, yeah. everybody seems to be like, yeah, this is not right. This is not the way you do this. And yet they're not in play right because when you say these things and you are in play and you are in the midst of the the the, the social discourse if you want if you're participating physically i want to say right that's different that is that is completely a different thing mm -hmm. and um so there is this it's funny because from one side there seems to be uh, a a general restriction of what we're calling free speech or freedom of expression, even though in theory, everyone has a voice now, right? Yes, even though politically, everyone has a voice. And the restriction comes, though, I think that the scary thing is that this, this restriction doesn't is not imposed from the top, but people are voluntarily restricting mm. uh, their way of thinking just yeah, by adhering true. to this mob mentality right definitely true so it's not an imposition so uh, for centuries the, the, the this issue about freedom of speech was always you know this the, the free the fear was that the government or whatever big machine will come up and and seize this and you will not be able to say things and instead we are we're assisting to people that literally voluntarily give up that they voluntarily are giving up their, their freedom of speech. Nobody is imposing this on us. We're doing this to ourselves. Yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> right? It is. It's like it's like a tyranny of the the voluntary democracy or something like that. Yeah, it's like I am I am volunteering to have less freedom, less Yeah. Uh, well well it's great if you're on the winning side, right? And I think true. that's a lot of the mentality is that well Hey, I'm not one of those bad people. I'm on the winning side, so I should have all this power. Exactly. And the thing, I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm like, if I were, you know, if I were a government that was really trying to figure out how am I going to limit the freedom of speech from people, the freedom of expression, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden this thing pops up, and I'm like, hey, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> These people, are they're doing it themselves. They'll do I it just, themselves. I, actually, I'm just going to let them have more of these platforms, right? Yeah, and, and they just will conform to just this one monolithic, one-dimensional opinion, and they'll be fine. <laughs> it reminds me of a. There's this one Twilight Zone episode called the the monsters are doing Maple Street, and like all the power starts going out, and all the electricity stops working, and all the neighbors start being suspicious of one another, 
and they just start being like, you're the one who did it. No, you're the one who did it. And like hating each other. And by the end of the episode, there's like this very tribal war and broken community. And then it zooms out and you see it was aliens that went overhead and they're like, see, we don't even have to do anything. We let them destroy themselves. <laughs> exactly. It seems that case. Um, but again, um, I'm wondering if we are not kind of, uh, if we're not kind of, um, how can I say, bypassing um, some other issues. Because again, I don't want to give the impression that we're just uh, kind of saying, hey, uh, this is not good. The fact that that um, we need to censor some things is not good. We should we should allow everybody to say everything. I don't think we're saying this because there's still mm. things that are problematic. Right. Uh, when some of these things are, and I think the problem is limiting what we mean by hate speech. For example, mm -hmm. uh, there are a few classic examples. Example number one is probably the most classic of them. I want to say. It's the Holocaust, right? The Holocaust deniers. Right, right. Should we allow people to publish, for example, in academia, right? Or uh, Holocaust denying a publication, right? Or should we allow somebody to go talk publicly about the fact that the Holocaust didn't happen? Mm -hmm. Or the fact that, you know, that's not true. That it should, Is that something that should be allowed by law and, you know, both, both, in both cases, should we censor it by law or should we just push back as a society? And I'm, I'm thinking of, I, I forget what year it was in, but there was this town, what was it, like Skokie, Indiana, I forget the state, Indiana or something, but there was a, a bunch of neo-Nazis that wanted to hold a rally. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they claimed they weren't going to physically harass anyone. They just wanted to have a a forum in the public square where they can, uh, you know, kind of profess their, their ideology. And there was this big issue where, like, the ACLU was defending them, and then people were like, how could you defend Nazis? And I think that the end of the story was the ACLU won. They said, you have to let these people speak, not because it's good, not because you should listen to it, but because you have to allow for the, the free-flowing of ideas because this is the basis for how judgments are made. Mm -hmm. And if you're not allowed to form a judgment, then this leads to these long-term uh, consequences down the line. And I'm thinking, and maybe we'll, we'll get into this in, in the next episode, like when you talk about the speakers on college campuses and things like that, how this relates to that, um, how the purity idea relates to that. So there's definitely a lot more to cover uh, next time. Yeah, definitely. See you next time, then. All right, see ya.